Hello, and you are very welcome back to the Public Eye Business Podcast brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and throughout the series, I'm speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth, and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Well, today I'm joined by brother and sister duo, Eddie and Bridging, directors of the McKeever Hotel Group. So Bridging and Eddie, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Lovely to have you in the studio today. So before we begin, as always, I'm going to give a little bit of background on Bridging and indeed Eddie and their family business. So the McKeever Hotel Group, many of you will know, is a family-run business based in Newton Abbey in County Antrim in Northern Ireland. The group was founded by Bridging and Eddie's parents, Eugene and Catherine McKeever, who are both managing directors of the group. Now, daughter Bridging is the group's marketing director, Bridging Keeley, and her brother, Eddie McKeever, is operations director. So the McKeever Group offers superb hotels and locations throughout Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland. Since starting off in 1993 with one hotel, Coors Corner Hotel, the group now has five hotels north and south, including, uh, as I said, Coors Corner, Dunsley Hotel in Antrim, the Adair Arms Hotel in Ballymena, Dillon's Hotel in Letterkenny, and the newest addition, the fabulous Donadri Hotel in Antrim. So quite a collection and uh, Bridging, growing up around hospitality and hotels, it just came second nature to you really. Absolutely. I think growing up we really had no choice, um, especially at the start. It actually started in a restaurant in Randallstown, which we lived above. So it was mum, dad, Eddie and I, I think at that time, and we've always been immersed in it. You know, our chores were stock rotation and collecting glasses in the bar. And there was no such thing as dishwashers back then. So there was a lot of very liquid used. You were the dishwashers. We were the dishwashers. Yes, absolutely. And what was the name of the restaurant? It was Granite House back then. Granite House. I'm sure many people will remember that. Eddie, what mm. memories do you have of growing up above the restaurant? Yeah, f- very similar. Um, I think a lot of people look at it today and think, oh, it's all okay for for them, but don't know that we actually grew up above the restaurant and, uh, like Bridging said, done the chores there um, with that. But also, I remember kind of good times. We were kind of playing around upstairs. We thought we were we were brilliant. We were left our own devices. We we're given ice cream and soft drinks and anything to keep us keep us quiet. And uh, so, how many were in the family? Because it was a big family, all to be living above the ref- restaurant. Yeah. Well, at the time we lived above the restaurant, I think there was just me and Bridging. Uh, okay. Possibly Marion was maybe on her way. Um, we now have there's myself and Bridging and three other sisters now. So I think we lived above the restaurant for about a year or a bit more, and yes. then moved out to to a house. But even that, when we moved out to the house. There were still emergency phone calls for mum to come down. She'd have to pack us all in a car to come down to stay up upstairs and and serve people because somebody didn't come in or just to get busier than they thought or anything like that. So, so it's always been a hectic kind of environment, but Absolutely. lots of fun. And, you know, many people will know your parents, um, Eugene and Catherine, because they were really big in, in hospitality. And, you know, I know a lot, a lot of people would, would know them very, very well. Um, how did they grow their business first of all then Bridgie? 
To be honest, Sarah, when I look at what they did, especially now being a mother myself, I don't know how they did it. I honestly don't know how they did it. Talking to them, the dad was the head chef at Coors Corner back then. It was the Roadhouse. It was just a bar restaurant. And he was head chef there and had a very good job, very steady wage. Mum was a teacher. And they basically sold the house with two young kids and moved into this restaurant. So mum continued to teach and then she lectured two evenings a week and then waitressed and waitressed at the weekend and other evenings. And dad was the chef and they employed one and a half um, staff members as well to help them out. And that really was it. So there wasn't any days off. There wasn't any holidays as such. There wasn't any Christmas. Mum and dad worked Christmas Day. Um, so we really understand sort of the sacrifice, but I suppose they did it because they had this vision and they wanted to give us a better life and a better chance as well. And, th- and they're passionate about hospitality. And it's something that we have took on as well because we were we were brought up around that work ethic and the passion of serving people. And we are very privileged because we are part of people's lives from christenings, births, weddings, and then celebrations of life as well at the very, very end. You know, we're there for it all and we're very privileged to be part of it. I think as well, going back though, I mean, it was always dad's drive and passion to have his own business. And he always thought a bar and that'd be him and that'd be happy. So I think it says a lot. Mum followed him with that, um, which says a lot for their relationship. And I don't think, me and Bridget have talked about it a lot of times, I don't think we could have done that ourselves or even together. So I think, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for them. They obviously have a very tight and good relationship and they can work Mm -hmm. well together as well as bring up uh, children too. But, you know, you talked about sacrifice there, Bridgine, but uh, Eddie, it didn't put you off. You're both now at the helm of the business. Yeah. Yeah. um, I grew up in it. I suppose I was in from around about 14, 13, 14, um, washing glasses and officially, and officially got paid before that. I was washing glasses, not getting paid, I suppose. <laughs> That's no um, good. Um, God's chores, But then that was the first time I was in behind Coors Bar and washing glasses and things. And um, I just loved it from, from that time, doing summer holidays, weekends, and just knew I always wanted to do it. Um, and it, it was funny because I remember even back at that time in careers, they would have cards for an accountant, a lawyer, a builder, a whatever, and didn't have a card for hospitality. And um, the careers person would be, is, is there anything else you're interested in? Because I don't have a card for that, you know. So Gosh, a computer go. says no, that's yeah. the old-fashioned way of... Yeah. Really? I but wanted to be a dancer, and they said, you're going into hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> Did they? Yeah. There's only one choice for yeah. you. So you who's the job. eldest, Eddie? I'm the eldest, yeah. And then you came next, Bridget. Yeah. yeah. So your dancing had to get put on hold. Put on hold. To be honest, I wasn't a great dancer anyway, so it was probably the right decision. <laughs> well, knowing you know, I don't. Yeah. I think they made the right decision <laughs> there. <laughs> and then, okay, so Eddie, if I was just stick with you because <laughs> you didn't go straight into the, the. Yes, you were in the family business, but you went elsewhere really to learn your trade. Yeah, well, I went over to Edinburgh to study in Queen Margaret's University over there. Uh, for four years. I don't really know why I wanted to go away. I, I remember having a conversation with someone that was a, the year ahead of me and they kind of had came back to to a Christmas or something and had said, it's great, I've got a set of friends over there and a set of friends here. And so I just wanted to go away and do that. So I went to Edinburgh for four years and while I was studying there, hospitality and tourism, I also worked in hotels and bars and things over there and got to management position sort of over there while I was still studying. Um, I then came back, wanted to start my 
career look for a job here um i did do a wee bit of a year out and managed a chalet ski chalet for nice. for a, a season which was good and got me using some of my culinary skills that i'd i'd learned but never really wanted to be a chef but was able to put it to good use anyway for that and then came back looked for a job and the first one that came back was the burlington hotel in dublin for jury's doyle um, at the time so worked there for two years until it actually closed at the time that it was sold off and then i went and worked uh, for delada um they have the Maldron and clayton hotels now they were just starting out with literally just bought their i think it was nine hotels from from choice at the time and uh it was a really good grounding because it was during the time of the recession, a lot of places going into receivership and, and hotels needing help. And they got into that market, which um, gave me the opportunity to go in and put in their standards, see w- what standards are missing in those hotels, why they got into those positions and how we got them out of it, which was really good grounding for myself because I've been able to bring that back now to the family business. Um, which I came back into in 2013. And the first thing we did was bought Dillon's in 2014 from NAMA. <laughs> um, Gosh, from the, in Letterkenny. In Letterkenny, from the exact same position that I'd been going in with Delata to positions. So I knew what to expect. I knew what sort of standards we had to bring in, what was likely to be missing, um, because every hotel more or less had the same. So that's issues. really interesting. And and how big had the group got at that stage? Where where had your parents got the business to at that point? It was three hotels. It was Coors Corner, Dunsilly Hotel in Antrim, and they'd purchased the Adair Arms in 2010. So uh, this was four years later. So they were ready for another hotel. This one happened to come up. And because of my experience in the South, I suppose they weren't scared of looking south of the border so talk me through that process i will come back to you now virginia in a minute but i'm finding this fascinating so you know you picked up all of um the business acumen that you needed to to be able to do that mm-hmm. uh what do you think you did well when it came to acquiring dylan's i think we went in with our eyes open and knew exactly what was going to be the issues because like i said every hotel even the ladder went into at the time i was there had the exact same feelings you know um you know such as they you knew there was going to be th- theft in the property it was going to be one the gps weren't going to be good um you knew there'd be a lot of other hr problems long-term sick you always had two or three long-term sick and um there'd be no standards if there was standards they were in a folder somewhere but they weren't being enforced so very weak sort of management of policies um what about staff morale Staff, well, actually, Dylan's was a wee bit of an outlier on it. Um, you always get, there's always st- stars in every hotel, no matter how bad the hotel is. And there's always people that are kind of um, dragging their feet a bit, and no matter how good the hotel is. So, but Dylan's actually, the staff were really cohesive in it. Um, they had actually, I mean, amazing stories where they had actually taken money they'd gotten from tips and also from damages to rooms and things. And spent it to refurbish the reception themselves. Did they? Wow. Yeah. And they came in, they sanded the floor themselves and painted, put up wallpaper, light well, fittings. Family and friends involved. Just desperate to keep it going. Yeah, yes. and it wasn't their business, but they'd been they'd all been there since it opened, like fifteen years earlier, and just they just loved the place. So mm-hmm. when we came in they were right behind us. They were oh, we want to see changes and um were really wanted to be involved in it. So it was fantastic so actually the staff morale for the majority of the staff 
for sort of the core staff that are still majority, nearly I think maybe all of our one maybe still there, is uh, was fantastic. Now there was then the other ones that were dragging their feet that um, had we, to go. Yeah, well they made that decision themselves when we told them this is the way it's going to be. So. Yeah, um, that well, it. that's business, and um, you know we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, Bridging then. So, how did you come in? So, I um, studied at the University of Ulster, did business studies, specialised in marketing, and my whole vision was I was getting out of hospitality. I had grown up in it. I had seen enough. I was leaving, and I'd applied to all these different um, businesses, manufacturing, construction, everything else. And then at that point that I was coming for my year out. They were just about to open Dunsilly Hotel. It was under franchise at that point. Um, we were the owners, but um, they had went for the comfort franchise because they didn't charge commission on food and beverage. And our business is very heavily weighted in food and beverage. So dad came to me and said, you're never going to get better experience than opening a business. So I thought, right, okay, fine, I'll do it. I'll do it for a year and then I'll, I'll go off and do my own thing. And then I came back and the sales and marketing manager had just left and he asked me to, to come in and help fill in. And then he asked me to stay on and then he interviewed me, him and mum, and it was brutal. <sighs> I thought it was a joke. It wasn't a joke. Um, so anyway, that's how I got into the business. So you were interviewed for the position. Did you know you yes. were going to a job interview? You did turn up. You thought it was a bit. it would be easy. I thought it would be a bit more of a chat than an actual full interview with questions. But anyway, so we we got there and that was fine. Um, And from that, I've just grown with the business. You know, from that, we've went um, now to five hotels. We had two at the time. We rebranded the Comfort Hotel. I did that one. It's about 24, 25. Um, Young enough to not understand the full consequences of it went wrong. (laughs) Well, that's good too. Sometimes you just don't overthink it. Yes, ignorance is bliss. Um, And then we've redeveloped cores and bought properties, rebranded, repositioned, redeveloped. So talk us through then the individual nature of each of the hotels. Because yes, you have an overall brand, but they are all unique. They are all unique. We almost (laughs) talk about them like family members. And describe them because some people, you know, remember we've heard about the curse of knowledge before where you're so close to your family members, but describe them to the listeners. Well, I suppose Course Corner Hotel is the steady ship. We always think of it as the father figure. They're consistent. They give advice to everybody else. Um, very big food and beverage operation. About 70% of the turnover would be done through the grill bar because it started as a roadhouse. And there's only been three chefs since 1974. Isn't that right? Um, now, that's quite incredible in this industry, incredible, yes? Incredible. To keep your chef. Yes. They've wow. never hired a chef. They've hired um, young people who start in the dishes and then they work their way up and work their way through the kitchen and we put everybody through their qualifications and um, throughout the group and so they've never had to had to hire a chef which is incredible mm-hmm. um, so we we call it like the father figure it's the one that gives the advice a very very steady ship um, the Adair Arms I think is a beautiful property inside it was 1846 originally in Ballymena in Ballymena yes and it was designed by Charles Lanyon who actually designed Queen's University and oh. Crumlin Road Jail so it is a listed building as well and it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's very relaxing very comfortable so we call it like the grandmother you know it's very what would you say like traditional it's traditional traditional and warm and familiar familiar yeah Yeah. good um Dunsilly hotel then we actually built that hotel 
um, and opened it in 2005. So that's just off the M2, kind of at Antrim. I yeah. pass the Dunsilly every single day and it's such a useful place to have a meeting. It's brilliant. For me, I'm on the north coast and if I'm travelling south. We call it the meeting place because ah. it is where a lot of people meet. It's very central for anybody coming from anywhere in Northern Ireland. And a lot of meetings are held there because of that reason that you don't have to travel into Belfast and, you know, if you're coming from all different different or areas. the airport. Yes, yep. exactly. So... Um, we call it kind of like that. We think of it as like the teenager that, you know, it's brilliant. It's great. Every so often, have a crazy <laughs> idea and go off with it. But um, they're really good and full of enthusiasm, and you know, do what they do really well and a lot of energy. Yeah. They always want to beat cores, and they think that yeah. they're all growing up and they're better than cores. Oh, and okay. then they make a mistake, and then mm. the tail between the legs mm. and up to the bedroom, up sort of thing. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's it's funny. It's their personality, I suppose, which is great because they're trying to push the envelope and they're trying to do something different but it doesn't always work out for them but, oh, but yeah. they're trying yeah but they're trying yeah it's good in a lot of ways <laughs> dylan's then came along and they're like the fun irish cousin yeah you know everybody down there is just very relaxed and very enthusiastic like we were talking about and you know it's 83 bedrooms right in the town center of Letterkenny. you're in the cathedral quarter there um so bars restaurants shopping everything is on the doorstep and everybody loves going there and has a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Denadri Hotel and Gardens that we bought over in 2017 and spent five million in two years wow. developing. Um, and it's stunning. I visited recently and you've done yes. so much work. There's so much history around the Denadri. Mm-hmm. So much history. So much history. That's a brand that you, we just needed to reignite and show a bit of love to, to be honest. Like it was all there. Um, that beautiful uh, wood panelling everywhere. It just feels yes. like a a very old country club or something. It's absolutely stunning. Well, it was a linen mill. Ah. Um, and before that, it was a paper mill. So it does have hundreds of years of experience. Um, and they actually took the columns, the columns in it, there's these twisted columns in the copper bar. And that actually came from the working mills that's called the Beetle and it um, turned the linen. So when they developed it into the hotel, they put it into the very fabric of the building. So that's like the staircase that goes up. So it is really spectacular and it's a really comfortable place to sit and have a few drinks. That's incredible. Yes, definitely check it out. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries, from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 3026 2200. What distinguishes Eddie, the McKeever Hotel Group, from competitors? Well, a traditional hotel, I would say, is 70% bedrooms, 30% food and beverage, whereas we really focus on the food and beverage, I suppose, comes first to us, and we've always seen the bedrooms as a bit of a, a bonus. Now, hoteliers, traditionally, there's a better GP, better margin in, in the bedrooms, so they obviously focus on that, and obviously it's, we do focus on it, but... We always want to get our front of house right first, the food and the beverage. All our hotels are very much in the local community. We have a lot of walk-ins, local um, people come and use it. So even managers that come and work for us from other hotels can't believe people just 
walk in the door <laughs> and come for food and drink that aren't staying, you know. Um, so I think we, we put a lot of focus into that, the customer service in the local areas and um, what we can do food and beverage. It's probably the first discussion we have at every meeting is about the food and beverage before we get to the bedrooms, whereas other hotel groups would be very much all about the bedrooms and then food and beverage would maybe be, be down the list just because that's where the priorities are. So you've you've talked there about the uh, the incredible staff there at Dillon's in mm-hmm. in Letterkenny, but if we think about the last couple of years that we've been through in a pandemic, hospitality staff managing all of that, how difficult has that been and challenging? It has been very difficult. We've been really lucky to start off with, I suppose, coming out of the pandemic, we had a ninety seven percent retention rate from the staff that we went in came back. Um, Is that unique in this industry as well? It was definitely unique, yeah, anybody that we've spoke to. So some unfortunately couldn't keep their staff on furlough because furlough was still a cost. So some people think, oh, it was fine, just keep your staff on furlough. But that was that was still a cost. You were still paying holiday accruals and um, employer contributions and things. So some people just couldn't do that, particularly when you didn't know how long it was going to go on for. We were in the lucky position to be able to do that. We had also just signed up for a tr- online training platform which was also a communication tool so we used that to during lockdown to keep in communication with our staff even just updating them on a weekly or bi-weekly basis about changes to furlough what it means when we're intending to open what our thoughts are or just saying we're still here hope you're okay where this is the contact details if you need anything um, and we also encourage staff to complete training while they were off so it's quite fun training modules you can do on coffee customer service knife skills for chefs and plus the health and safety stuff and things so it was really good um, and we believe all that went a long way to the retention of the staff since reopened and then it it has been difficult um, we again still have a really great core team of staff um, again really lucky with the people we have um, but the industry as a whole is is suffering and you're just much more aware if you do lose somebody how difficult it might be to replace them and the qualifications of people coming through or the standard of people coming through that do come in new to your business um, isn't there. There's a lot more training and help and guidance needed so we are really focusing a lot on um, our inductions or onboarding sort of thing of people coming into the industry to try to give them the best ch- chance at a start that we can. Well, it's something you're obviously very passionate about and indeed at the time of this podcast's release you will be the new president of the Northern Ireland Hotels Federation. So these big challenges, they're something that you're going to be very vocal about during your time as president. Yeah, I mean, from the industry in, in general, we have a target. We had a target pre-pandemic of £1 billion uh, for the industry in Northern Ireland which was achieved before the pandemic. That then moved to two billion, which means we want to double the size of the industry, which will be fantastic. But the massive roadblocker to that is people. You know, we can build twenty more hotels if we if we need it. If you've got the land, you've got the money, go and do it. But how you're going to staff those hotels, it just wouldn't happen today. So and then people looking at what happened before and think I'm not go- I'm not encouraging my young person to go into hospitality. That there's no surety there. There's you know, it's it's a risky choice. People say that. I mean, hospitality does have a bad reputation going back probably the previous generations. Um, yeah, the kind of the work-life balance thing Work-life well. balance, long hours per pay. But I know that 
in our industry and a lot of the other ones that I sit on the board with, you know, a, not many of us pay minimum wage to fully trained staff. Um, we um, have a lot of perks. They get fed and three meals a day, so breakfast, lunch and dinner if you're working in the hotel, free parking and discounts through the hotels, 20% food and beverage and, and 50 pounds days, 60 euros in Dillon's. Um, so there's a lot of, and we've got a thing called Perk Box that gives it on street or on high street, high street discounts and online discounts. and Freebies so every month and access to doctors on call, counselling sessions. So you really look after your staff. Yeah, we do that, and then we do try to get the staff, get the hotels to be looking at four day weeks, particularly for chefs, things like that. So that's still a work in progress because of the shortage. So as you get once trained up, some of the kitchens been able to do it. Most, most actually been able to do it, and um, we're very flexible industry um, for staff as well. So you do get a lot of people that are maybe drop the kids off to school, come in to work the lunchtime, be able to go and pick them up again. So it works for a lot, a lot of people that way. And Bridgine, is that is that the key to, to, for you to get the right people and the good people and to, to keep the good people mm-hmm. is to offer that flexibility? Absolutely. I think, you know, we all have busy lives. We all have a family, like I said at the beginning, that when we grew up, we grew up with our parents working round the clock. We know what that feels like. We grew up with our mum and dad going to work on Christmas Day. Now we close all of our properties with without exception on Christmas Day. Most of them close early on Christmas Eve. So you don't do your Christmas we dinner? We don't do Christmas dinner oh. because to us it's a family day because we know what that's like. We know what that sacrifice is. Our parents know what it is to leave your kids on Christmas Day and not be back. So that's something that as a family business we've made that decision. We also want a day off because yes. it's a 24 7, 364 days for us, like 365 days. Um, you, you're never fully off. You get a phone call at two in the morning if something really bad had happened, you know. So, whereas that's the one day you feel nothing's open, nothing, nobody, nobody's going to be phoning me today. I can actually. Yeah, and not it works. It yeah. works. It's yeah. obviously something too that, that, that the staff really benefit from as well. What is it like working with family? Do you want me to take Who's them separately? That directly to? You know, it's like, <laughs> Eddie, if you just step outside for a minute, Bridgie can answer that. <laughs> Do you know, we... I can't thankfully, imagine running a business with my sister. <laughs> well, uh, we, we actually get on really well, and I think it's because we come from different aspects of the business. Like, Eddie's was very much front of house, bar, you know, service operations, that side of the business. I came through from housekeeping into reception, into that room's revenue, events, booking, sales, marketing. That was my line through it. You know, mum and dad, obviously, he came from the chef and background. She was very much in the waitressing silver service or silver service background. And they also grew the business. So there isn't an area of the hotel operation that we don't know currently. Um, things do change all the time, obviously. But um, we're very, very proud of that. So I think because we come from it at different angles. We respect each other's view. Um, and I think that's really important. We uh, did a thing on personality profiling as part of our business. Uh, an outside person came in and they didn't just have your personality traits. They had the sort of personality traits that you would work best with that would complement your skills. Um, and also how your personality traits could be viewed in a negative way, even though this is the positive side of it. And actually... Mine and Bridging's nearly lined up exactly. So you're quite as similar. In, 
we filled in the gaps with each other. So what my strength was but needed a mirrored strength, she had the mirrored strength. So it actually mm. worked. So what are your really strengths, well. Eddie? Interesting question. I know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, I think I can remain level-headed. I'm quite good at seeing the full picture. Um, I can see both sides of an argument, and I can normally then make it a quick decision on, well, here's the route we're going to take and why. Um, I feel sometimes that's a bit of a negative. If I see both sides of an argument, I'll say to somebody, no, I can see your side. I can see why you're upset, but... But when they can't see both sides back to me, I find that really frustrating going because they just won't admit, no, it's it's their way or, not, mm-hmm. or nothing. So, um, and what I would you say the weaknesses? So the the negative could be that you you can see both sides and frustration in others if they can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, I find it quite difficult when I've made the decision in my own head going up. No, that's the clear way forward, <laughs> and other people are are still arguing about it and feel like. You're just wasting time here now because mm. this is the way we're going. Because you're right. <laughs> but Jean, what, right. what are your strengths? I would say my strengths are sort of that emotional intelligence piece. Like I'm very empathetic to other people and how they might be feeling. It doesn't mean that I will make a decision because somebody doesn't like it or something like that or change a decision. But I can put myself into their shoes and understand it and therefore try to get the best out of them to motivate them and come along with us. Um in terms of weaknesses, I've oh, um, <laughs> no, I'm very. My biggest weakness is my plate spinning. I'm not organized at all. Like everything gets done, but I am a plate spinner. So much so that I have a great girl, Laura McConnell, who's my marketing manager, and she is the organizer. She is the tabs and everything keeps everything in check. Keeps me in check, to be honest. Oh, can I borrow her? She sounds good. <laughs> She's brilliant. And delegating a little more is, is something that we all have to learn as well because uh, how many staff do you have now? We've over 300 uh, between obviously full-time, part-time, casual. Um, changes at different times of the year obviously as, as business changes. But And customer service is massively important. I mean, the way you treat your staff, um, your staff also you hope and know are treating your customers that way too. Mm Yeah, well, that's that's what you hope. I mean, that is one of the biggest challenges of the industry is if somebody comes in, I mean, I don't know how many people's in our hotels as we speak, um, and you're relying on every single one of those staff members that comes into contact with a customer to get it right or do it as they're trained or all be having a good day. <laughs> um, and it, it only will take one of those staff members to be having a bad day um, to cause a problem for a customer or for a customer to comment on it and say, well, that's not what I expected. Um, and that's the challenge to try to get that consistency across across the staff. And then you've got the old TripAdvisor. Yes. <laughs> but I think TripAdvisor is just an extension. Like I have been in it long enough to remember we're going to the papers or we're going to the radio, you know, and now it's we're going to TripAdvisor and I suppose it is much more accessible. Um, but I do think you have to look at it from a right is there a vein of truth in this? Have multiple people said this? Is there a problem with that dish or a certain department? Now, some TripAdvisors are just a rant. You know, they hated everybody. They hated everything. Nothing was right. And they had a bad day. They had a bad day. Or maybe we had a bad day. And there's nothing you can do about that. But you always look for what was the catalyst? What started the, the ball rolling here? Or is there a grain of truth in that? And does that need addressed? 
I think that's a, I think that's a great way to, to look at it because otherwise you wouldn't be able to continue, you wouldn't be able to, or you let the red mist descend, which doesn't help either. It is difficult. Like I do remember when TripAdvisor started and, you know, I'd be going out for dinner with my husband, a bad TripAdvisor would come through and it would ruin my night yeah. because you take it so personally, mm-hmm. especially being a family business. But you kind of have to go, okay, it's not the end of the world. It's not going to ruin the business. Let's learn from it and use it as a learning tool rather than a stick to beat yourself up with. So what's the biggest lesson you've both learned from a mistake you've made, Eddie? That's a difficult one because um, I don't make many mistakes. No, I, I uh, <laughs> many, it's hard to choose. Yeah. It's hard to know sometimes mistakes at the time. It's, it's only looking back. Mm-hmm. So if you're... For example, we've done a lot of work the last couple of years on, we brought in a financial controller again just before the pandemic, a HR manager. Um, we used to do a lot of the stuff ourselves um, and wasn't getting done to anywhere near the same standard it is today. And you're looking back going, you know, that was a mistake not doing that quicker. And I wish we had done that quicker because I think we'd be further ahead today. Um, so I suppose that's a big mistake that we've made. And I suppose we're much more organised now with official board meetings our board meetings used to be around a table at lunchtime between the family ad hoc and we've ad hoc and we normally end up talking about a staff member that didn't put down a coaster for somebody or something like that right. instead of talking about actually the, the business side the of the strategy business. and yeah exactly mm-hmm. so whereas now we're much clearer on that we have our three-year strategy that we launched there um the other month and with that we believe then we've learned from our mistake of not preparing before so we're much more adaptable and ready for change and and able to look more into the future now yeah same question to you Bridgie um I suppose there's there's quite a few I suppose like when you go through years um one of my big ones probably is when I was younger especially and probably only recently sort of went you know what let's let's look at this I give a lot of power over to other people I would like have people come in and go they must know much more than me like you know and and let them make the decisions even though I'm going that doesn't sound right that doesn't sit right with me your gut was telling you my something. gut was telling me something else I thought well no they they obviously know more they've came from this different background they they must know more than me and it's taken me a long time to go no do you know what you've been in this business for 20 years you've worked up through it and when your gut tells you that something isn't right it's not right because ultimately what ends up happening is a few months down the line, I have to come back in and clean it all up. And you say, I knew that I wasn't knew the right that thing. I knew that wasn't the right thing. And I should have stepped up and sort of... Taken those decisions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Instead of letting somebody else take that that part. And it's not about micromanaging, I suppose. It is more about just realising your own experience does matter. Exactly. And I think a lot of the time, most of us probably are guilty of that. Definitely. So what does success look like to the McKeever Hotel Group and how does your team celebrate success, Regine? To us, success is, I suppose, doing what we do every day and doing it well. You know, reputation means an awful lot to us, especially as a family business. And um, knowing that we're there for the community and looking after our people is is one of our our big success stories and hopefully will be. Um, We obviously want to continue to grow as well. We want to... Um, add on to the portfolio we're looking at opportunities on all Ireland bases um, but it's not about a numbers game it's about making sure it is the right fit because we are passionate about independent businesses we're passionate about family-owned hospitality and tourism businesses and there is a lot of investors coming into the industry which 
is great, has its place, but I do fear that the industry will u- lose a bit of its authenticity and its uniqueness, which is why the international visitors love coming to see us and visit. So we kind of want to keep that family authenticity going and hopefully grow it. So you can't reveal anything, I'm sure, at the minute, but, uh, you know, any hints at where you might be going next? No, no, we don't know at the minute either. So it's, we're, suppose we're putting out the... The wishboard. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what they call it? <laughs> they, we're putting out our intentions there and say, and talking to people about here's what we'd be willing to do, whether it's buying another property, whether it's management contracts. We Over the pandemic we, and lockdowns, we did get quite a few hoteliers that would come and ask for advice and ask for, for help or what are you doing about this or that or the other. And we're happy to happy to give that advice and we kind of realised there was a lot of very tired hoteliers out there and ones that maybe didn't have the next generation coming behind them, things like that. So we sort of have looked at setting ourselves up as having the possibility of taking on management contracts as well, whether it's short term or with the option to buy or anything like that. And um, Well, maybe somebody will be listening to this today and would like to, to have a chat. Would that be something you would be open to? Oh, yeah. Um, we we love chatting to other hoteliers anyway, even just to go over world war stories. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes else. it's like therapy sessions. It's great. Um, but because everybody, this industry is really close. This industry has always had a history of helping each other out. And I suppose that's what we want to continue to do. Yeah. Well, the purpose of this podcast, I'm sure you've listened to previous episodes, is to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering insight into the success of businesses such as McKeever Hotels. So then the big question, what advice would you give to people who may have a business idea but have no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether the risk is worth taking? I think, first of all, definitely do research. Um, and go and speak to there is great groups set up for this like Invest NI for example if it's a tourism business you can go and speak to Tourism NI or Tourism Ireland and they have a lot of um, case studies and figures and stats around everything Um, I have a whole library there so you can go into them and find out a bit more and run it past some of those um, agencies and even some funding agencies there is grants and things like that so I do your research, Eddie, mm-hmm. Bridgie? Yeah, I would sort of second that. I would also say look at who's already in that market. Um, maybe approach somebody that's in that market but wouldn't be a direct competitor. So, um, for example, you know, when I started out in the marketing role, Julie Hastings from Hastings Hotels, she let me come over for a full week and sit in her head office and just watch and be involved in what they did because we were three-star there, four-star luxury. We weren't a competitor and another family business to family business. Um, so I would say maybe look for somebody like that. It um, doesn't have to be in Ireland. It could be in the UK. And they would probably be a lot more open to talking to you. Now, that's hospitality. I don't know about manufacturing or anything like that. But definitely go to like the networking events, the NI Chamber events. Talk to other people. Talk to potential customers that you might want this product or you know, is this a good idea? Is this something people want? Um, talk to as many people as possible is what I would say. Isn't that lovely of Julie Hastings? I'm all, I'm glued oh, to the hotel at the moment. Absolutely. Are you watching? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Is it real? Is that the, just the, what goes on? 
pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you see now that to obviously to talk about the staff problems and things, and that is is definitely and the fact that like preaching said about these plates spinning, you can see there. There's so much going on from different bars, restaurants, events, and you're trying to manage every one of them with the one team. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. Well, it's been fabulous having you in the podcast uh, studio today, Bridgine and Eddie. Um, good luck to the McKeever Hotels group and good luck with whatever you do next and indeed helping others. It's wonderful to hear, given how difficult the hospitality sector, um, the difficulties that the hospitality sector has faced over this last time, to, to hear about that camaraderie and how much you help each other. That's that's wonderful. So thank you so much for being guests on the Public Eye podcast. Thank you very Thanks, much, Sarah. And I'll see you next time. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.